Hey, Mary Jo. How you doing? Uh, I'm, oh, you know, okay. I'm kind of missing my days in the classroom, to be honest. I used to be a teacher first with KIPP and then with the Catholic school system in Los Angeles, and I just, I, I kind of wish I was back there. How about you? I'm, I'm doing fine. I can relate, kind of. I taught in an American exchange program in Switzerland. It was a very deliberately, like, low-tech environment, like handwritten papers. I don't think it compares to being a public school teacher, though. But I did get a taste of the teaching bug. Why did you end up leaving the classroom and pursue the edtech world? Well, if you talk to Barnett Berry, he might argue that I left because I wasn't getting developed enough and that I wasn't being shown any ways to grow into a teacher leader. In fact, Barnett and his whole team at the Center for Teaching Quality just put out a paper about how that phenomenon is ruining this concept of deeper learning. If we want to deliver rich core content to students in innovative ways, we can't just rely on technology. We need to help teachers develop. Listeners, you may be wondering, is there a way that technology can help us achieve that? How do we improve the teaching profession as a whole? Is it mainly about salary? Luckily for us, Barnett stopped my ed search this week to share his deeper thoughts with us. But first, the news. I'm Blake Montgomery. And I'm Mary Jo Matta. Welcome to the Ed Search Podcast. Let's get started. University students and faculty looking for digital copies of the Iliad and the Odyssey are in luck. More than 1,200 titles from publisher Simon and Schuster are now available as ebooks through ProQuest's subscription-based My Library tool. Ann Arbor, Michigan-based ProQuest claims it's the first platform to bring Simon and Schuster titles to the academic market. Have you always wanted to teach an art class with technology, but couldn't find any online resources that met your Walmart budget? Well, despair no longer. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, founded by Walmart heir Alice Walton, has launched two free online courses, one on American art history and one on art practice, and they both use the museum's collection as a foundation. The museum is also inviting educators to become certified in teaching those courses by having them apply to an all-expenses-paid training session at the museum. Applications close on April 25th. So you want to get an ed tech job. For educators, or really any individuals, who are interested in becoming technology coaches or working for companies, the switch into ed tech can be pretty intimidating. So where do you start? What role is best given your current set of skills? Never fear. EdSurge's Mary Jo Matta has assembled a simple step-by-step guide with resources and tips from experts, along with a choose-your-own-adventure chart to help you with the career transition. Check it out on edsurge.com. Coursera is getting into the market for the sexiest job of the 21st century. The online education provider announced a partnership with the University of Illinois to offer a computer science master's degree in data science. The year-long program, which will be offered entirely through online courses, will cost $19,200, a fraction of the price of other in-person and online data science master's degrees. Is the edtech industry ready for another online marketplace where teachers can buy and sell instructional materials? Well, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt thinks so. On Wednesday, the company launched HMH Marketplace, a destination where companies and teachers can sell their goods and connect with one another. 
An exhaustive two-part investigation by Reuters reveals the extent to which test prep centers, especially those notorious cram schools in Asian countries, have been getting early access to SAT test questions. One test prep operator's analogy on the pervasiveness of the problem, quote, it's like doping in the Tour de France. If you don't do it, someone else will, end quote. The fundamental weakness, suggests the reporters, may be the college board's decision to recycle questions for other tests. NASA wants to explore another world, digital courseware, and it just gave Arizona State University $10 million to do it. ASU will develop a digital learning platform in conjunction with SmartSparrow to promote science education through exploration. Their target demographic? Quote, independent self-learners of science. That sounds to us like astronauts. And now it's time for Kachings. Possible grim news on the EdTech venture front. Led by Masterclass's $15 million Series B round, U.S. EdTech startups raised $59 million in February 2016, according to our analysis. That number is a 43% dip from the previous month and a 44% decline from February 2015. We have more here on the top deals in February at edsearch.com, and you can subscribe to our monthly Kaching reports to stay on top of every deal every month. We have to ask, is the venture funding belt tightening? Well, there is good news for one company, though. Memorang, a San Francisco-based startup, has raised a $500,000 seed round from California-based angel investors. Founded in 2013, the company offers users a platform for creating flashcards, multiple choice, and matching questions. Congrats to Memorang, and congrats to all the other companies that raised money this week. There are few people who know teachers and the art of teaching as well as Barnett Berry. He's the founder and CEO of the Center for Teaching Quality, a national nonprofit that advances a high-quality public education system for all students, specifically driven by the bold ideas and expert practices of teachers. But that's not all he does. Barnett's got a PhD in education policy, he's been an associate professor, and if that weren't enough, he's worked with Stanford professor Linda Darling-Hammond to advance both policies and partnerships promoting teaching as a profession. Barnett's two books, Teaching 2030 and Teacherpreneurs, frame his bold vision for the teaching profession's future. But is it too bold? I mean, is it impossible? A few weeks ago, the Center for Teaching Quality put out a new paper commissioned by the Ford Foundation all about the concept of deeper learning. Barnett stopped by EdSurge to share some of the paper's findings, but we wanted to learn even more. Barnett and his team make the argument in the paper that if we want to achieve deeper learning in the classroom, we need to do a better job developing teacher leaders. But does that mean they have to leave the classroom to become administrators? And where does technology play a role in all of this? We'll let Barnett take it from here. Okay, well, let's just start off with that. So why don't you, you know, you've worked with teachers for years and years. Um, and, you know, you've worked with professors too, like Linda Darling Hammond, who have a lot of experience in talking to, you know, hundreds of thousands of teachers. This is going to sound like a crazy question, but what is currently wrong with the teaching profession in your mind? Uh, what's wrong is that most of the policies that are about teacher recruitment, uh, development, and compensation, including evaluation, Mary Jo, 
most of those policies are fixated on fixing teachers and their profession as opposed to unleashing teachers as professionals. So it's, um, it's, it, it's kind of where are we, um, what are some of the underlying assumptions about the policies, the programs um, that we have developed? Not that every one thing, everything that we've done, excuse me, or any one thing is inherently wrong, by the way, whether it's, you know, uh, particular school turnaround models or particular approaches to charters or critiques of unions or the use of test score data to evaluate teachers. Almost a lot of that's legitimate. Uh, and a lot of what we have done in those areas, and I just identified four, right? Uh, or teacher preparation, let's add fifth, the fifth area, you know, things, the critique of teacher prep and what we should be doing differently in, in our university pre-service programs. It's just that most of the approaches that we have taken, the underlying assumption is that teachers are to be fixed mm -hmm. as opposed to be cultivated as leaders and unleashed um, and have their potential unleashed. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like for a teacher? I mean, you, you talk to teachers all the time. What what is being a leader look like? Because the automatic assumption I think a lot of people make is, oh, okay, well, they want to be a principal. But is that the the you know the one sole way for a teacher to be a quote-unquote leader? Well, that, that has been um, not one way. Uh, it's been one of only a few ways. The other few of late have been uh, turning yourself into an instructional coach. And oftentimes that means you are uh, anointed by someone else to carry out some sort of mandated program. Uh, that turns you into uh, not a teacher anymore, but something maybe at best something between teacher and administrator. Uh, you're neither fish nor fowl, so to speak. Uh, but in many cases, um, what we know from both research as well, the experiences that teachers have had, once you leave the classroom, become this coach, supervisor, or even an administrator, uh, even if you had had decent experiences as a teacher prior you lose your pedagogical touch. You lose your pedagogical credibility. Mm -hmm. There is, there, you know, there is this expectation, and and whether or not a teacher um, can maintain credibility when they've left the classroom is a delicate balance. I mean, I've certainly seen that in the last four years being out of the classroom. Even writing now about teaching, I realize I don't really understand what it's like to use technology in the classroom as well as someone who's physically there. It's just impossible. So. So what, what does it mean then for uh, a district or a school to develop those teacher leaders? What active steps should they be taking? Well, first of all, there's no question we need at least um, three or four elements in place. And there's, and I could go into great length about each one of these and even extend beyond the three or four, but let's just kind of hone in on a few for this purpose. Uh, one, uh, first and foremost, we need administrators to play a very a vital role here in identifying teachers um, as potential leaders and cultivating them as leaders and being able to kind of mix and match and assemble the respective strengths of those teachers in a coherent way uh, in the name of improving performance and out, good outcomes for kids 
in that building. So number one, we need principals who know how to utilize teacher leaders. Second, we need, uh, and this is where administrators ha have to have skill, but also teachers. We need to rethink schedules and time and so forth. I mentioned, I believe, when I was with you guys um, in Burlingame the other day, um, uh, most top performing nations and jurisdictions from Singapore, Shanghai, uh, Hong Kong, um, and the like, uh, Finland, um, teachers teach about half the time than teachers here in America. It's ironically, uh, teachers um, in America teach the most hours of any other teacher in any other major industrial country in the world. They teach the most hours per week. So there's time allotted uh, curricular-wise for teachers to both teach and lead. And the way teachers lead in these top jurisdictions more often than not is around spreading their expertise. Uh, so there's time and structure in place and protocol uh, for teachers to spread that expertise in the time they're not teaching. Uh, we would never think that a doctor is not working when he or she is not in front of a patient. But literally, that's the, the, the mindset that we have. So the second area is, is how we even not just embrace, but literally physically, technically redesign the school day so that teachers can actually spread their expertise. So even if we, you know, you, we, so we can have all the great teachers in the world and cultivate them, but there's no mechanism for them to spread their expertise, then we are throwing good money after that. So that's, uh, that's number two. And then number three, um, I, I think we've got to have a system in place that values the spread of expertise. And this kind of gets back to, you know, identifying, uh, I mean, and rewarding, you know, rewarding teachers as leaders, uh, and from that, also giving them more opportunities to lead. So the more you're effective at spreading practice, the more opportunities you're, you're provided or, you, or that you yourself can create uh, for you to lead in ways that you deem uh, important. Have, the more effective you are uh, in spreading your expertise, the more agency, the more uh, opportunity you should have to incubate and execute your own ideas. Um, how, how do we value, yeah, how do we value teachers who do spread their expertise? We've got to have a very, a uh, clear and manageable system to do that, but also one, here's what's really important, Mary Jo, we gotta have that system that will identify and value and reward, not just a few teachers, but all teachers. Especially all teachers in like, should, you've talked about the, yeah. the relevance of teacher teams. I mean, teacher teams are great, right. but how do you, how do you, how do you celebrate the, the leadership qualities and the advancements right. of those teams? Exactly. And, and, and by the way, even some of the, the current day in the middle of the second decade of the 21st century, we are still putting into place career ladders um, like the opportunity culture in Charlotte Mecklenburg, for example, is a good place. I mean, it's not that's not a bad thing that we're, they're doing there, but it's just a handful of teachers in a few buildings have a chance to be, make a lot more money and to provide leadership. It's not that it's not good, that that's not wonderful for those few teachers, but it's a system designed just for a few teachers, a minuscule number. Uh, remember uh, in front of, uh, with your colleagues the other day, I put on the board, you know, a handful of the nine principles that Google draws on to uh, drive its own innovation. And one of them was innovation from everywhere. To what extent can we have a system 
that values innovation from any teacher, anytime, anywhere. So those are the, so administrators who know how to utilize teachers, identify the strengths and help them come together as a team, structures and um, curricula and schedules that allow teachers to spread their expertise, and then a system that values uh, innovation from every teacher and encourages all teachers to lead in some way. Doesn't mean some are not gonna lead in much more powerful ways, uh, not gonna make more money, uh, not to be rewarded and recognized more. Of course, we want that. We need that. We need to break up the egalitarian culture that has so prevailed in public education and the teaching profession. But we cannot do it the same way we've always done it. Um, and by the way, we keep reinventing a very bad wheel when it comes to the ways we are identifying rewarding uh, teachers uh, as leaders in this country of ours. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that always used to intimidate me was, and, and you spoke to this a little bit in the paper that you put out with the Ford Foundation on deeper learning, where, you know, it was sort of considered, and if you implemented them in any way, shape, or form, it was seen as positive. You know, there was really no system of checks and balances. And I wonder, um, I almost wonder sometimes if, Part of the problem is not just that we are not celebrating teachers, but when we do, we might not be celebrating them in the right ways. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, with technology being brought into schools so much more commonly, what does that mean for celebrating what teachers are doing well or not doing well? Well, first and foremost, there are so many technologies that we have today, and we'll have even more tomorrow, that allow us to make um, teaching more visible um, and open up what have been very closed classroom doors. Um, what has held teaching back as a full-blown profession more than anything else um, has been the isolation of individual teachers from each other. Um, and so uh, there, and still, I mean, in this period of time between where we are today and where we will be tomorrow, when teachers are still teaching twice as many hours per week as the teachers are in Singapore, in Shanghai, and Hong Kong, and Finland, how can technology help teachers see each other teach, uh, critique each other's practice? Um, and so, um, that makes me hopeful that we can um, we can make some major changes um, in, in very in, in short order. And, and of course, it's already being done, by the way. And uh, and teachers are now um, and uh, are in these external uh, networks more than ever before, right? And, it, and a lot of it's being driven by technologists allowing teachers to connect to each other in virtual communities anytime, anywhere, any place in spite of their archaic school organizations in which they're working. So I, I see technology first and foremost right now, not as any silver bullet to um, drive practice, uh, but as a mechanism to help us de-isolate teachers, which is first and foremost uh, on our agenda uh, to lead, help teachers lead the, the evolution and transformation of their profession, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. And I know, I know for a fact that most of our listeners to this podcast are entrepreneurs. So do you have any advice for them on how to make their products better to support teachers in that way? 
Well, you know, one thing that um, when I've, you know, I've said uh, a, a bit over time the last couple of years as I've gotten and, and really uh, to know Betsy and Ed Surge and uh, is that I would love to see one day that we have true teacherpreneurs give them an opportunity to be innovative and creative and being much better compensated in, in the private sector. And um, I'd rather see um, these ed tech companies figure out how to build partnerships with school districts and states and unions even, believe it or not, um, where we can have increasing numbers of teachers who are both practicing teachers part of the day, part of the week, and have opportunities to be full-blown uh, colleagues in the ed tech sector world, to be co-creators of tools and practices. It's not to be for every teacher for sure, uh, but if we had, you know, a, if we have 3.2 million teachers in this country, imagine what, if we had like even 5% of them playing, uh, which would be like what, 150, 160,000 teachers. I imagine you had 160,000 teacherpreneurs who are in that kind of space. And each and, and handfuls of each of, of, of them would be in ver working with various companies. And imagine if Ed Surge helped coordinate this. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> That's an offline conversation. We will de definitely take that offline. <laughs> yes, all right. But wouldn't that be amazing? It would. Think it would. Yeah. Much, so the the Ed Tech. Well, first of all, I think the Ed Tech products would be a whole lot better. Not just better, but guess what? They'll be more likely to be implementable. They will be more likely to be embraced by teachers because their teaching colleagues were co-creating them. Yeah. Well, if you have any last pieces of advice, this is the one that I'm curious about. This is the last question that I have for you. In everything that we've, ta we've talked about and in the paper that you put out with the Ford Foundation, the biggest thing seems to be all of this work is going towards making deeper learning happen. I hear people use the word learning all the time. I hear them use deeper learning less sporadically, par partially because I think there's some confusion. What does deeper learning actually look like? Okay, it can be as um, simple and straightforward as not identifying all the amendments to the Constitution of the United States, uh, but um, using um, the the Constitution and its contents to assess federal immigration policy uh, in a particular local context where a group of kids charged uh, by the, and framed by the standards, the curriculum standards that they're expected to meet, but also facilitated by, by their teachers to work in a team to uh, figure that out and to create a multimedia sort of set of products that they could then uh, present to the, um, um, whether it's from the local government to the federal government as a way to think differently about um, immigration policy. Imagine if that's what we ask our high school social studies students to engage in. How, how, how much fun would they have? How much, how engaged would they be with school? Uh, how would think about how much they would learn about the the way they can apply knowledge and create their own? So, but most of the time, you know, we uh, the tests that we use and the curriculum that's employed and 
the textbook, as well as the software, is more about you know the kids learning and then regurgitating uh, what's in the Constitution as opposed to how we might apply it. So that's just one very concrete example, Mary Jo, about what deeper learning is about. Well, I for one would like to live in that world and potentially teach in that world. And Barnett, this has been wonderful. I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. And if anybody wants to access that paper, where should they go? Well, um, www.teachingquality.org backward slash deeper learning. All right. Thank you so much, Barnett. Barnett Barry, what a guy. Yeah, and what a paper. Listeners, check out the whole thing if you want to on... No, I mean... <laughs> if you want to. Give me a second. And what a paper. Listeners, check out the whole thing on the Center for Teaching Quality's website. By the way, have you checked out our jobs board? We've got hundreds of jobs up there from all over the country. Teachers, if you're looking for those leadership opportunities that Barnett speaks to, specifically a new position as a computer science teacher or an instructional coach or an administrator, check it out. Visit edsurge.com jobs. I think Michael Winters said this on the podcast a year back, but just so everybody's clear, we don't have any lion tamer positions on that list. Sorry about that. Yeah, and if you go to edsurge.com slash liontamer, you unfortunately won't find anything. I'm working on it. Our apologies. And with that, I'm Blake Montgomery. And I'm not a lion tamer. We'll see you next week. This is the Ed Surge Podcast. 